because it, this is one of those studies where really you, you need a handout for. Huh? Oh, no, it's not a test. No test, no pop quiz. It's just, uh, this is just something to help help you remember what we're going over tonight, okay? Because we'll be covering a lot of information this evening. Everybody good? Huh? Oh. I got one right here. All right, folks, I'm not going to preach as I I am just going to teach. If I can get my mic. Uh, The message tonight or the study tonight is a foundational message for the book of Revelation. I've taught through the book of Revelation, I think this is the fourth time that I've taught through it in in 30 years. And uh, uh, usually I try to do this study at the very beginning. But got a little sidetracked, and I wanted to get into the to the book, and so I thought, well, we need to take a break before we get too much farther and cover over this. So like I say, I'm not really going to be preaching as much as trying to teach tonight, and I'm going to have to cover a lot of ground again in a short time, and we'll see how far we get with it this evening. Now, the subject we're going to talk about, to me, is extremely uh, interesting. It's fascinating. It's one that we deal with every day of our lives. But I don't think we really ever think about it. And it's the subject, as you can see from the handout, the subject of numbers. Numbers are essential. They're essential to everyday living. Uh, We really can't get along without numbers. For example, numbers tell us how old we are. Numbers tell us uh, how much we weigh. Numbers Numbers tell us how bad our blood pressure is. Uh, Numbers tell us financially whether we're rich or not. Numbers tell us, uh, you know, what day it is, tells us what time it is. And when you stop and think about it, life would be chaotic if we didn't have a system, folks, of numbers. Numbers are woven into the very fabric of our life. <clears throat> now, immediately, we see in this first chapter, and I hope you got your Bibles open, the first chapter of Revelation. We we're not through the first chapter yet. Uh, the first chapter of the book of Revelation, we see that numbers are going to play a significant role, a significant uh, part of understanding the book of Revelation. So Revelation 1, let's look at two verses real quick. Verse uh, 4 of Revelation 1 says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now skip down to verse 20 and look at this one. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels or messengers. And like I said before, I believe he's speaking of the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks or the seven lampstands which thou sawest are the seven churches. <clears throat> so we see real quick right from the beginning, folks, that uh, numbers are going to be significant. They're going to be important in understanding 
the book of Revelation. And as you're going to see, the number seven is a very significant number. It's a key number to all the Bible, but especially to the book of the Revelation. In fact, the book of the Revelation, I think this is on your handout, can be divided into seven sections, and each section can be divided, uh, each of these sections can be divided into seven subsections. Now, I'm not going to cover all those because you have them on your handout, but you can look and, and read for yourself on that. Now, the book of Revelation is seven groups of seven. Now, I want you to understand something. That's not by blind, random chance, but it's because of God's sovereign choice that it was put together this way. You cannot properly understand the book of the Revelation. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can't really get a good grasp on prophetic writing at all in the Bible unless you understand the meaning and understand the use and the significance of numbers in the Bible. So number one, let's start here, the practical science of numbers. God's written two books. He's written a world book and he's written a word book. The word book we call the Bible, the word of God, the world book we call that nature. And numbers are an integral part of both of these books. They're very important. In fact, God even named one book in the Bible, Numbers, almost as if to remind us how important numbers are to his personal revelation of himself to us. But God has also written his world book, and it runs by numbers as well. And as you study the world book, that is nature, creation, you're going to find numbers in every chapter of it. For instance, uh, think about astronomy, the study of stars. Do you realize it can be reduced to, the, to just simple mathematics? I mean, that's what it's about. Astronomers can study the position of stars. They know exactly where those stars should be, where they're going to be, because of precise mathematical calculation. Uh, they, can, they can search planets. They can know where planets were positioned a thousand years ago. They know where they're positioned now, and if the universe lasts long enough, through mathematical equations, they know where those planets will be a thousand years from now. In fact, <coughs> folks, it was the use, uh, use of mathematics and astronomy that allowed us to put a man on the moon. So numbers are, are very important. They're also foundation in chemistry. Chemistry is really just the science of mathematics taken to a higher level. Do you realize that? How many, how many chemistry experts do we have in here? How many, there you go. How many of you remember taking it in college? How many of you want to forget that you took it in college? Right, okay. <coughs> If you've ever taken chemistry, then you know how much chemistry is balancing mathematical equations. Because when you think about it, folks, the various elements that are found on the charts of the chemist, they have certain atomic weight. And these weights tell us the ability of one element to combine with another element, but it's all according to numbers and mathematics. Numbers also play a foundational role in the realm of biology. Take botany, if you will. You're going to find plants follow a certain mathematical law. You're going to find that every flower will have a certain number of petals. Uh, it'll be arranged in a certain specific arrangement. So in one sense, it's numbers that make one plant different from another plant. Uh, take the area of zoology. Every living creature on planet Earth has billions and trillions of cells. And each cell has a certain number of chromosomes according to the kind of creature that it is. For instance, man has 46 chromosomes in each cell. While, uh, you may not know this, but a, a little housefly only has four chromosomes in each cell. So modern science would say the only difference between man and a housefly is 42 measly chromosomes, but I disagree with that. The point to remember is that mathematics, folks, which, by the way, is a mathematics is a creation of God. God is the originator of it. It's built into the very foundation 
of our universe. In fact, Aristotle, the great philosopher, said this. Numbers are the principle of all things. There is a practical science of numbers that governs our very existence. Now, I realize there are some people who get intimidated uh, by numbers and mathematics. I was a lot that way as a kid. If it wasn't on a tape measure or hydraulic calculation, I didn't want to know anything about it. Uh, I'm kind of like the little boy that, you know, he's having trouble with his math lesson at school, and teacher thought, well, I'll give him a practical illustration that will help him. She said, okay, Tommy, let me ask you this. If you had $5 in one pants pocket and $2 in the other pants pocket, what would you have? He said, I'd have somebody else's pants on. That's kind of the way I felt about it. <clears throat> but I want you to understand, don't be intimidated uh, by the use of numbers in Scripture. Numbers in the Bible, they're not for intimidation. They're for information. And that's what we're doing tonight. We're getting some information. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and get started with the middle and the meat of the study tonight, the providential symbolism of numbers. Now, just as numbers are an integral part of God's world book, we also have to understand that numbers play a very important role in God's Word book, in the Scripture. In fact, it, it, to me, uh, when you study about numbers, it's a fascinating confirmation of the divine inspiration of God's Word to see how numbers unite together and how numbers bring the truth of God's Word together. God never uses numbers in a frivolous way, in, in a capricious or arbitrary way. All right, behind the key numbers in the Word of God, and we're going to look at them tonight, there's a basic meaning that derives from the very heart and the mind of God. And so what we're going to look, do is look at these key numbers and see how they make the Word of God come alive and how they unite the truth of all of God's revelation. Not just the book of the revelation, but all of God's Word. So let's begin at the very beginning. Number one. Number one is the number of unity. It's the number of primacy. All right? it's, 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 number one is a cardinal number. What I mean by that, it's not made up of any other numbers, and number one is the source of all other numbers. Number one, always remember this in Scripture, number one symbolizes God. God, who is the first great cause of everything, who is independent of everything, and who is the source of everything. That's why we read uh, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, the prophet Zechariah tells us in Zechariah 14, 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. So understanding the significance of the number one and how it represents God, then we also get a better grip, I think, of like Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The number one symbolizes unity. There's one God in three persons. He is a tri-unity, a trinity. Now, this explains what Jesus meant when he prayed that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, 22, where he said that they may be one just as we are one, talking about us. <clears throat> now, folks, there are three persons to the Godhead, but there is one God. There, are, Just for instance, there are many people in the fellowship of this church, right? But we are to be one body, unity. It's God's number, number one. Uh, one's the number, again, of God. I, I thought about this, folks. The motto of the United States, E Pluribus Unum. You know what that means? Out of many, one. Number two. Number two is the number of witness. It's the number of confirmation in Scripture. Jesus said in John eight seventeen, he says, It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. 
Now, in the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament law, you're going to find that capital punishment with God's people, according to Deuteronomy 17.6, it could not be applied to a guilty party unless that crime had been witnessed by at least two people. Think about when we have a business meeting or any parliamentary procedure. Somebody makes a motion, somebody seconds that motion. Now, why is that? Well, the one that's second in the motion, all they're doing is simply confirming and witnessing to the motion that the first person made. So two is a number of witness. Our Bible is divided into two testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Second Testament or the New Testament witnesses to the truth and confirms the revelation of the Old Testament. Now, the second person of the Trinity is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look at verse 5 of chapter 1, Revelation. Jesus is called the faithful witness. The Lord Jesus was the witness and the confirmation of God the Father. In Luke chapter 24, verse 4, remember there are two angels at the empty tomb that testify that Jesus raised from the dead. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 10, two angels, they witness to the ascension and they foretell the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, God sends two witnesses who are going to preach for three years during the Great Tribulation. Mark chapter 6 and verse 7, we read that Jesus sent the twelve out and he sent them out two by two. Revelation chapter 13, we read that there are two beasts, each one confirming the other in absolute evil and rebellion against God. So number two, the number two is a number of witness, number of confirmation. Number three, number three is a number of divinity. It's the number of trinity, the number of triunity. <coughs> so uh, that's why in Matthew 28, 19, we're commanded to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in that great doxology in Isaiah chapter 6, you remember what the angel once said to the other? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So God is not only a triune God, but he's a God of triune holiness. Holy is God the Father. Holy is God the Son, and holy is God the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you never thought about this, but this triunity that I'm talking about, it's found in all of God's creation. Man was created in the image of God. you agree with that? Well, that Im image of God that man's created in means that man's a triune being. So that's the reason Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 that man is body, soul, and spirit. Now get this, all of God's physical creation can be summed up in time and space. What is time? Time is past, present, and future. What is space? It is height, width, and depth. Uh, think about this, folks. It takes three lines to enclose a space and to form a, a geometric figure. It takes three dimensions to make a solid. Everything that exists in the world is either animal, vegetable, or mineral. Or a combination. Uh, man can sin in three ways. He can sin by thought, by word, or by deed. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about how this triunity exists everywhere. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. What are his three offices? Prophet, priest, and king. Jesus was raised when? On the third day after resurrection. And because of his resurrection power, folks, that enables us, us to defeat our three greatest enemies, which are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Number four. Number four is the number of the earth. It's the, it's the world number. Okay? It's the number of God's creation. Isaiah 11, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 
So again, four is the earth's number. And what it does, it refers to the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. So Ezekiel, Ezekiel 7, 2, it says, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, and end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Again, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, nor on any tree. Uh, Revelation 20, beginning verse 7, we're told of how Satan is going to be released from prison after a thousand-year reign, the, the thousand-year reign of Jesus, and he's going to go and deceive the nations, it says, which are in the four corners of the earth. What that simply means is he is going to go all over the world deceiving the nations of the earth. So we see four is the earth number. There are four divisions to the day. There's morning, noon, evening, and night. There are four seasons of the year. There's spring, summer, fall, and winter. In the Bible, there are four world empires. There's Babylon, Greece, Persia, and Rome. There are four Gospels. And the four Gospels give us the story of the earthly life of Jesus Christ. Now, understanding this about the number four, folks, we can begin to understand the use of the number four symbolically in Scripture. Look at Revelation 4, 6. We read that the throne of God was surrounded by four living creatures who were continuously praising God. Now, let me explain something to you. That's not just saying that there were uh, uh, four creatures, you know, one, two, three, four, okay, that were worshiping the Lord. The word four, again, symbolizes here that creation is the world number. So it's symbolizing that all of creation, all of God's world is kneeling before him, giving him the praise that he deserves. Again, number four, the world number, number of the earth. That's why in Revelation 6, there are four horsemen of the apocalypse, because it sums up the destructive powers of this total world at war. Now, just as four is a symbol of this world, now I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but to really grasp Prophetic writing, you need to have a grasp of numbers. So I'm encouraging you to study this on your own as well. Now, <coughs> just as the number four is a symbol of this world, multiples of four, it deals with earthly testing and trials of this world. Uh, Jesus, remember, said in John 16, 33, in this world you're going to have tribulation. So the number 40, folks, 40 being a multiple of four, four times ten, and we'll talk about five and ten in just a minute, that's a symbol of earthly trial, earthly testing. For instance, we know in the Scripture that Noah was in the ark while it rained on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. We know that Moses, when he went to Mount Sinai to get the law from God, that he was there 40 days, 40 nights. We know that when Jonah preached to Nineveh, he told Nineveh, yet 40 days and judgment is going to come. We know that when the Lord Jesus went out in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, he was in the wilderness and he fasted and prayed 40 days, 40 nights. Now, let's talk about numbers 5 and 10 because they go hand in hand. They're basically the same in Scripture. 5 being half of 10, 10 being double of 5. Number 5 is a number of fullness or completeness. Uh, your hand, if it's complete, you have five fingers. Your feet, you got five toes. Your senses, there are five senses. 10 is an extension of the number 5. So in my two hands, I've got 10 fingers. Two feet, there are 10 toes. Complete is what it's speaking of. The complete moral law of God was given in what? The Ten Commandments. Now, this principle, understanding this, enables us to interpret correctly Revelation 13, 1. 
If you want to turn there, you can. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now understand something. In the Bible, a horn, it's, it's a representation. It's a symbol of power, and a crown is a symbol of authority. So the number ten represents completeness, complete power, complete authority. So what uh, Revelation 13 there is basically telling us is the Antichrist, this evil world ruler that's going to rise up to rule this world, will have complete power and complete authority. No one except the Lord Jesus Christ himself will be able to stand against the complete power of the devil Superman, the Antichrist. Again, Revelation 2 and verse 10, talking about the church at, at Smyrna. It's warned it'll have tribulation ten days. And I remember hearing a preacher preach this one time, of ten days of tribulation. And he preached it as a literal ten days of tribulation and made some kind of off-the-wall uh, application, but I, he wasn't even nowhere near. And I didn't know anything back then, and I still knew he wasn't nowhere near what the Bible was saying. But when it talks about ten days, folks, that does not mean ten literal days that they're going to have a little difficulty. Uh-uh. It's referring to complete and full tribulation that's going to come upon the church. That's what's been speaking of. Now, one thing Scripture tells us and teaches us is not only is this world headed for Jesus Christ. you believe that? Amen? It's all headed to Him because it all belongs to Him. Not only is this world headed to Christ, but let me tell you something. The church is headed for some tough, trying times, and we better get ready for it. Now, God sent ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. It was full. It was complete judgment. Jesus told the parable in uh, Matthew 25 of the ten virgins how ten were wise, ten were unwise, ten were asleep, ten were awake. Listen to me. That is a complete description of the church today. There are only two kinds of churches. There are churches that are vibrant and alive and churches that are asleep and dead. Number six. The number six in the Bible is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. He was to work six days and rest on the seventh day. Now think about this. Maybe you've never made the connection, but the Lord Jesus was crucified on the sixth day of the week because he was dying as a man for men. Now understanding six as the number of man, that explains probably one of the most famous verses in the book of the Revelation. Verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 18. It says, Here's wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, folks, understanding what we know to this point about numbers and symbolic, the, the, the symbolism of numbers in Scripture, we can see how God's numbers are beginning to come together. So there are three sixes. Remember, three, that's the number of Trinity. Six, that's the number of humanity. So three is the number of God. Six is the number of man. So what you have here, speaking of the Antichrist, you have a man who's pretending to be God. That's what it speaks of. In a minute, we're going to see seven is the number of perfection. I think I mentioned that a few minutes ago. Six is the number of man, which is imperfection. Six, that's all man can achieve on his own, is imperfection. He can never achieve perfection. Seven, he can never get to that level on his own. The only way he reaches that is through the perfection and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, the best he can hope for is the number six, which is perfectly imperfect. Now let's go to number seven. There's not a more important number in the Bible nor in the book of Revelation than the number seven. It's the key number, keynote number. It's a number of perfection. Now, how do we get that? Now, stay with me on this. Seven 
is 3 plus 4. 3 is the divine number. 4 is the world number. So 7, folks, is the number where God and the world get together. It's earth crowned with heaven. The union of heaven and earth. So, knowing this, folks, we know that God rested on the seventh day. One week is made up of seven days. There are seven notes uh, in the musical scale. The eighth note is just a repetition of the first. Actually, I guess you consider it is a new beginning because it's a higher octave of a new scale. But the Hebrew word for seven comes from a root meaning to be full or satisfied. You remember Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, he spoke seven words from the cross. Enoch, the first man to ever be translated alive into heaven, he was the seventh man from Adam. The day of atonement for Israel was in the seventh month. You remember the story of Naaman the leper? You remember what the prophet told him? Go to the Jordan River and dip how many times? Seven times you'd be cleansed. Perfect cleansing. (coughs) Matter of fact, let me say this. You may not know this. The opening line, the opening statement of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you realize that in the Hebrew language, the original language, that is exactly seven words? I'm going to tell you, it's not by coincidence. So now we understand Revelation 1-4 that we read a few moments ago, where John refers to the seven spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit, but the number seven, again, refers to perfection. The Holy Spirit is the perfect Holy Spirit. No spot, no blemish. Or we read in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, John's writing to the seven churches. And I've had people ask, Brother Jim, why seven churches? Understand, these churches, seven churches, represent all churches throughout all the ages. Okay? Seven. These letters, we're going to find out as we go through the book of Revelation, that these letters that John has written to the churches, they're as relevant for the 21st century church today as they were for the 1st century church when they were written two millennia ago. In Revelation 5 and verse 6, Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God, is described. Matter of fact, let's, let's just turn over. Chapter 5 and verse 6. It'll explain the number 7 a little better. John says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Now he's talking about Jesus. As it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, folks, Jesus literally does not have seven horns or seven eyes. And there is not seven Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. What we're told here, and let me break it down for you, is that Jesus has perfect omnipotence. Remember I told you, horn, that denotes power. There are seven horns. That's perfect power, uncorrupted power. All right, he has perfect uh, omnipotence. He also has perfect omniscience because it says there are seven eyes. Perfect seeing, perfect knowing. Also perfect omnipresence, the seven spirits of God, the perfect Holy Spirit of God sent out unto all the earth. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture, folks, we see the historical use of the number seven. Uh, think about the story of uh, in Joshua 6, beginning verse 16. I think I wrote this down on your notes. <clears throat> For seven days, Joshua and the army, uh, Israelite, they marched around the city of Jericho, right? Then on the seventh day, they marched how many times? Oh, now come on. On the seventh day, they marched how many times? 
Seven, thank you. Somebody remembered Bible school or Sunday school. They marched around it seven times and the walls came tumbling down. In Leviticus 23, God gave Israel seven feasts that they were to observe. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 told seven parables of the kingdom of God. In the book of Acts, seven men were ordained as deacons of the first church. We read in Revelation 1.20 that we read a few moments ago. It says the seven lampstands or candlesticks, but actually a better translation is lampstands. That refers to the Jewish menorah. Now, most of us have seen a Jewish menorah. There are three uh, shafts on either side and then one long shaft in the middle. That's what it's speaking of on a lampstand. Now, <coughs> three plus three is six, remember? Three and three is six. Six is the number of man. The one in the middle, that shaft, who is above the others, that represents God. So God plus man becomes the light of the world, lampstand. The King James Version, again, it uses uh, the word candles, but an accurate translation is lamp, uh, lampstand. And you say, well, preacher, what's the big difference on it? A candle burns by wax, a lamp burns by oil. And there's a great big difference. Because in the Bible, oil, folks, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we're to shine as a light in this world by the oil of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of the Revelation is the perfect book of prophecy. I've already mentioned it. It's divided up into seven divisions of seven subdivisions. Now, you may think, well, preacher, this is all just pure coincidence. I can't believe you think that out of all the facts and the truth that I've given you about numbers. But let me give you one more. You may not know this. The number seven appears 49 times in the book of the Revelation. What is seven times seven? 49. See, I still remember that from school. But listen to me, just as there are multiples of 5 and 10 uh, in Scripture, there are also multiples of 7. Uh, <coughs> you remember in Luke 10, verse 1, Jesus sent the 70 disciples out and he sent them out two by two. In uh, Daniel chapter 9, in Daniel's prophecy, he gives a panorama of history of the world from his time down to the end of time. And he uses, uh, he does it in 70 weeks of years is how he puts it together. Uh, do you remember on one occasion, Simon Peter came to Jesus and said, if somebody does me wrong, how many times should I forgive them? Seven? Now, Peter knew his numbers in Scripture, and he knew that seven was the perfect number, the number of perfection. But what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, no, no, not seven, 70 times seven. That's complete, total forgiveness. Seven, the number of perfection. Ten, the number of completeness. So our forgiveness of others, it should be perfectly complete and completely Perfect. That's what Jesus is teaching. Now, just as the number seven is significant, also know this. Seven divided is also significant. The number seven, when it's cut in half, it's going to spell danger. It's going to spell disaster and despair. For instance, we're told in James 5, 17, that Elijah prayed earnestly that it may not rain upon the earth, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Uh, we're going to find out as we study through Revelation <clears throat> that uh, the Antichrist is going to make a seven-year uh, covenant with the nation of Israel. But you, you know, and you've heard this before, right in the middle of that covenant, three and a half years, he is going to break that covenant. And he, uh, the Great Tribulation will, will begin. Uh, actually, the Great Tribulation will become the Greater Tribulation because it's going to be a Great Tribulation. And the heat's going to be turned on. The fire's going to be stoked. And the latter part of that three and a half year period, it's going to be tribulation on the world, on this world, unlike anything the earth has ever imagined. Daniel tells us all about it. Daniel 9, verse 27. 
that he shall confirm, talking about the Antichrist here, that he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. The word week that Daniel uses is literally the word seven. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even under the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So in the middle of the seven-year period, the Antichrist is going to turn uh, on the Jewish people. And he is going to disallow them from worshiping God. He's going to keep them from going to the temple. And what he's going to do is move in and take up the throne that's reserved for the Most High God. And he's going to blaspheme the name of God. Now, this is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 13, 5 and 6. It says, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. So listen, both the number seven and its division is extremely important in this book. Now, number eight. Number eight is the number of new things or, or new beginnings. It's symbolically used uh, of the new birth. I said, talked about the musical scale a while ago. It has seven notes. The eighth note is just, it's the same note as the first, but it's lifted an octave higher, so it begins a new scale. In the Old Testament, circumcision was to take place on the eighth day after birth because circumcision was a sign in Old Testament times. It was a symbol of salvation. Paul speaks of this, Colossians 2 and verse 1. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, Paul is talking about here, folks, uh, circumcision of the heart. Not a mark made in the body, but a mark that's placed upon the heart. And it symbolizes the new life that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. When God destroyed the world by a flood, we're told in 2 Peter 2, 5, He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah preserved and presented a new beginning. Uh, Here's another one, 1 Peter 3.20. We're told of the eight souls who were saved through the water during the flood. Again, a new beginning. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. When? On what day? You say on the first day of the week. You're absolutely right, but it was also the eighth day. It was the day after the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of the week. And then 50 days later, on the same day of the week, came Pentecost, which was a new dispensation of the work of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 9, 28, we're told the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus, which symbolized His coming in power and His kingdom, took place on the eighth day. Uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead, we're told in John chapter 20, verse 26, He appeared unto the disciples on the eighth day, on Sunday, the eighth day, the first day of the week, which is a new beginning. Now let's talk about the number nine. Number nine is the number of judgment in Scripture. It has similarities to the number six for where three plus three is six, well, three times three is nine. When the Lord Jesus was crucified, he was nailed to the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. And then the Bible tells us that when he gave up the spirit, it was about the ninth hour. In the Bible, there are nine recorded stonings. There are nine cases of leprosy. There are nine instances of blindness. Uh, And I think I put Galatians on. You may wonder why Galatians 5 would be on that note. Well, it's an interesting thing here. There are nine, <coughs> there are nine fold fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned in Galatians 5. And then in verse 23, 23 Paul does something unusual. He says, talks about these nine uh, fold uh, works of the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says this, there's no law or there's no judgment against these. Now, I've already given you number 10. Number 11, I think it's on your notes there. I cannot find any significance. And you know what? Neither can anybody else find any significance to the number 11 in Scripture. So let's go on to number 12. Number 12 is God's governmental number. Okay, it's the number of the rule and the government of God. Now, stay with me on this. Just as 9 is related to 6, 3 plus 3 is 6, 3 times 3 is 9, Understand 12 is related to 7. 4 plus 3 is 7. 4 times 3 is 12. 12 is the number of this world multiplied by the number of God. So what it refers to is the rule and the reign of God over this world. Think about the significance of the number 12. There are 12 months in the year. That shows us that God controls time. There are 12 signs in the zodiac. That tells us God controls space. There are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. There are 12 apostles of the Lamb. In the new city, Jerusalem, there are going to be 12 gates. It's going to set on 12 foundations. In Matthew 19, 28, we're told the apostles, they're going to set upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You remember when Jesus was being threatened with death? He said, do you not know I could call 12 legions of angels down? Uh, The only time, think about this, the only time the Lord Jesus has ever seen between his birth and uh, his baptism, he's how old? Twelve years old. And you remember what Jesus said <clears throat> when his folks said, where you been? What have you been doing? He said, well, you should have known I'd be about my father's business. With that testimony, what Jesus was doing was showing that he was perfectly ruled by God the Father. Now, understanding all that, we read Revelation 4.4. 4. It says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold upon their heads. Now, these elders, 24 elders, represent the redeemed of the Lamb, and they're sitting on thrones ruling with God. Maybe you're asking, I hope you're asking, but preacher, why are there 24 thrones? Why are there 24 elders? Well, 12 represents the Old Testament saints, and 12 represent the New Testament saints. So what he's saying is all of the redeemed, all the elect through all the ages are going to rule and reign with God. Now, let's go to the last point. That's the personal significance of numbers. How can we apply this personally to us us and to our lives? Not just in understanding and interpreting Scripture, but to our lives. Well, I'll tell you how I do it, folks. These numbers mean something to me. Number one, it tells me there's one God and only one God. Besides Him, there is no other. Number two, that tells me that God has spoken to us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, we're told in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times and in various diverse ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. The number three tells me that God has revealed Himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father sent God the Son to die on the cross for our sins. God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit, folks, to live within us so we might be saved. Number four, that tells me this entire world, I'll say what I said a while ago, belongs to Him. The kingdoms of this world one day will become the kingdoms of our Lord. He owns it all, and one day every creature, every creature, every person, everything that lives is going to know it and bow down before him. Number five tells me that what God starts, God finishes. 
God completes. God's going to create a new world where his people can live forever, free from the clutches of sin, self, and Satan. Number six. <coughs> Number six reminds me that mankind is imperfect. And it tells me that without Christ, we are imperfect sinners. And we need to be saved <coughs> so that we might have that right relationship with a holy God and a perfect God. And that leads to number seven. That tells me God's not only perfect, but also God is a God of perfect love. And that perfect love sent a perfect son to die for you and I, the perfect death, so we might have the perfect salvation, so that when this life's over, we can spend eternity in a perfect home. Number eight. Number eight tells me that you can indeed be born again, that, friend, all of us can have a new beginning. We can start over and be a new creature in Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ. Number nine, that reminds me that unless you get right with God, you're going to face God's judgment. Number 12, that tells me that if you let him, God will indeed take over your life. He'll govern your life and he'll take you to heaven when you die. That's the significance of numbers to me personally. Now I want to say this before we close. I know I went pretty quick and covered a lot of ground tonight. I hope you wrote some in your notepad, your your handout that I gave to you. I want you to understand something. Not just with prophecy, but with any of God's word. Do you realize this is the only book that has ever been written that for you to have a grasp of it and understand it, you better know the author. You need to know him personally. If not, you're not going to understand it. If not, it's just going to be a bunch of random numbers to you. It's not going to mean anything to you. So, my challenge to you tonight is, and I've been hitting this pretty hard lately, are you sure that you belong to God? Are you sure you have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ? You say, preacher, why are you, why are you doing that? We're, we're all home folks here. Well, you know what, folks? <clears throat> I'm convinced that every Sunday in churches all across the nation, all across the globe, there are people who have sat in the church pew for years, years, and years, but they've never given their life to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know your heart. I'm not God. God knows your heart, and you know your heart. So I'm asking you, be for sure. Be for sure. Not just so you can understand God's Word, but so you can experience that perfect love. So you can experience that perfect eternity that God offers. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, I thank you for your word and for the power that it has, for the guidance that it gives. I thank you for... Father, you preserving it all these years down to this very time, to this very moment for us. I thank you that we can read your word and we can find correction. We can find direction. We can also find encouragement. Father, we can find strength and courage for the times that are ahead. I thank you that as your child, you made sure that your word was written and preserved because you loved us. And I pray that we would take, as we study the book of Revelation, we would really take that to heart. And I pray for those here tonight who maybe they don't know you. Father, they've been uh, 
fooling themselves. and They've been a cardboard Christian for years. I pray tonight they would forget about that and they would come and accept the perfect salvation that you offer. Father, I pray for those tonight who perhaps are dealing with some problems in their life, uh, whether it be an illness or, or whatever the problem may be. Father, I pray that they would lay it before your throne and they would be reminded and they would understand the great truth that because of Jesus Christ, as your children, because of him, we can approach you with anything. We can come before you knowing that our prayers are heard, knowing that you desire us to spend that time with you. Father, thank you for the Sunday night crowd. Thank you for us still having the freedom in this nation to come together any time that we choose and to worship you and to study your word. I pray we would not take that for granted. In Christ's name, amen. You stand, please. Brother, I'll lead us in song. Folks, Bible study is 6 o'clock. Um, 7 o'clock, don't be here at 6 if you're by yourself unless you're going to be over with the kids. Bible study is 7 o'clock. I know you're thinking, preacher, where are we going to start? No, I don't know yet. I uh, got an idea, but I don't want to ruin the surprise, so we'll wait till Wednesday night. Uh, let me ask real quick. There you go. Real quick, the handout they give you tonight, do you think it helped any at all? Okay, all right, I want to make for sure. Because uh, uh, sometimes if I can type something up, I can read it and follow it, but I don't know if other people can. So that's the reason I was asking on that. So we will uh, uh, we'll try to have those as we go through this study in Revelation, but especially on nights when we're going to be going into detail on some, on some things that, that you really need to grasp to, to understand it. So uh, that's good. I appreciate you letting me know. Anything else before we dismiss? Okay, Brother Denny, would you dismiss us, sir?